quick little intro before you introduce yourself, but okay. this man's built multiple seven-figure businesses from a publishing company, an e-commerce company, IT, and built a digital marketing agency. Um, he's been in the Inc. fastest growing company three years in a row and also a best place to work when he was running his companies. Um, I've met Mike many times in San Diego and he's one of the best speakers I've met. And I'm so excited to have you here, Mike. Thanks for carving out the time for us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Why don't we let you do your own backstory? Let's get a little summary of how you got to where you are today. Okay, sure. Sounds good. Um, well, where I am today is running, um, you know, my, my business here in San Diego really focused on um, creating a, a lifestyle business and doing everything that I can online to give me as much flexibility as I possibly can. Um, and that is largely driven by the fact that I have three kids. And so I want as much flexibility to, to see them, do things with them, travel with them, you know. Um, and so I'm, I'm fully, I think, taking advantage of as much as possible all the cool tools and technology and stuff that we now have available to us as entrepreneurs, uh, which I just, I absolutely love. I'm just totally passionate about that. Um, and, and kind of the path getting here, as you said, um, I, you know, I've been an entrepreneur essentially my entire career, just shortly after college, started my first business and I was out in Silicon Valley. I had the, the bug, you know, the fever of all the energy of what people were doing out there. Big difference is I had no background in technology, so I had no clue, you know, how to capitalize on a lot of that stuff that was going on, but I just kind of threw myself into it. Um, one thing led to another, ended up, uh, uh, wrapping up some of the first things I was doing, going and get my MBA, started another company as soon as I was done with my MBA. Um, I grew that. That was my IT services company. I grew that for eight years or so before selling it. Then digital agency. Um, that whole world kind of, that's where I really got the fever of online marketing and, and just really enjoying that, um, which led then to, as you mentioned, e-commerce, information publishing, and um, I just, I, I really love the whole uh, online marketing world and um, the community around it and stuff like that. I just made so many great relationships and connections and I'm just in, enjoying that and enjoying life here in San Diego. Awesome. So when did you start your digital marketing agency? What year was this? Gosh, let me think about that. I started that in, if this is probably 2000 and. 11, I think is probably about right. Um, because it was, I, I think it was the year that I sold my IT services company. I had started the digital agency probably about six months prior to selling the IT services company. So I had both going maybe even a little bit before that, but I had both of them going and, um, yeah, so it was somewhere in that time frame. Great. What, like, what services were you offering when you first started out? Not when you ended, but right when you got right into the system or right into your agency? Yeah. I mean, it was essentially the same throughout actually. So I, um, because of my experience selling to small businesses and providing this services to small businesses, I felt very firmly, I still do that. You have to do something that's very packaged, very kind of process oriented and systematic, and it had to be recurring revenue. Um, and so what I sold were these very, um, defined packages of services. One of them was a, a website with hosting. Um, the other was, um, email marketing campaigns and content around that. So newsletter content, uh, email prospecting campaigns. Um, and then we did uh, social posting, um, and blogging and things like that as well. So, it was really just um, a set of marketing activities primarily that our customers knew needed to happen. They, they knew they needed a newsletter. They knew that they should be doing posting on social media, but they just weren't getting it done. And um, so we provided that, you know, consistency of making sure that it happened for them. And again, very set packages, very defined. You couldn't really go, you know, couldn't ask for anything custom. And because of that, we were able to also offer it a very aggressive price points so that we could get customers signed up, you know, without too much thought, without too long of a sales process and just keep it very simple. What was your number one selling first item, like the foot in the door service that you would sell to the clients? The website. 
the website and the hosting of that website, um, which is interesting because I, you know, when, when we first started offering digital services, when I had my IT company, mm -hmm. a lot of website design work uh, that was very popular and I hated it. You know, we would, we would actually sell a decent sized design job, but make almost no money on it by the time it was done and spend so much time just doing hand holding with the client. It was a nightmare. Um, and so with this particular service, what we did is we said, Hey, look, we know better than you, what you need on your website. Your website right now is terrible. What we're going to do is we're just going to design the website for you at no cost. And we're just going to charge you a monthly fee for hosting and doing updates. So updates of the, the WordPress environment, updates of all the plugins, um, updates of some of the content on the site. So we were able to charge a very low price point. It was $97 a month. And so for our clients who were looking at, you know, getting a new website and thinking, I'm going to spend $10,000 or $15,000 having somebody design me a website, we would come to them and say, hey, look, you don't need to spend any of that money. That's ridiculous. Here's a perfectly designed site with five different options for you on colors, five different options on, do you want the edges there rounded or squared, you know, but, but those were the only options, you know, and, uh, but it was $97 a month. They have their site up like that. It would look good. It would make them look good. It was functional. All the forms worked, all that good stuff. And because of that low price point, we were able to sell those things like crazy. And then of course, once they had the nice website, it was, well, you need blog content on there. You should be doing social posting and, you know, it, it was all just kind of a nice sales process from there. I love it. It's very systematic. I mean, yeah. you know, go, going into, because this is what I want to talk about is building a repeatable process. And yes. I mean, it's a struggle with even large agencies because they do do the customization and it takes the wheels off the track quite often. Yeah. So when, when you bring a client in, you now control the hosting and they're basically their, their entryway to their business. Um, now you're selling them the features inside the business, like the blogging, staying fresh. Like, how did you, how do you train people? how did you get it systematized? How do you get people to follow the process and actually uh, stack another question, measure everybody that's doing everything inside of your process? Yeah, those are, those are great questions. So, I mean, look, if you're selling to small businesses, um, I just don't think there's any way that you can do it successfully long-term at any sort of scale uh, without making it as packaged and, and kind of cookie cutter as possible. You don't want it to necessarily feel that way, right? You still want the client to feel like they're getting that individual attention that everybody wants, of course. Um, but, and everybody thinks that their business is unique, right? So you've still got to have a, a process that makes them feel that way, ideally. But the reality is that in order to make things financially viable and, and scalable, you've really got to be pretty darn cookie cutter in your approach. So there's, there's a, a few things that I would say to that. One is the most important thing is that you define what you are offering to your clients and, and that's it. You know, so the big mistake that most service businesses, agencies and otherwise make when dealing with small businesses is they kind of go out there and have a conversation with them and well, you know, what do you want? What would you pay for? You know, well, yeah, I can do that. I can kind of, you know, tweak it and adjust it this way and maybe you'll pay me a little more. That's, that seems like the right thing to do when you're selling at the time because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a sales process with a client who's telling me they'll pay me a little bit more money if I do this and that. It's an absolute disaster because the reality is what you're doing is you're giving up so much time and margin to take care of that little extra for that client that you're giving up the ability to sell in a really scalable way to 10 other clients. Mm -hmm. um, so the first thing is just, you've got to define, here's what I'm selling. And you know, would you like that? And if not, you have to have the second part of this is you have to have the discipline to walk away. You have to, you have to say, hey, no, look, I, I sell X, Y, and Z. Um, just like if you were you know, going to buy a car, you know, I can't just create a new car out of thin air, right? I, I can do some, some slight customizations and make you feel special about that car. But the reality is, you know, I've only got these models of cars to sell. You got to think of your services that way. And that requires discipline. When you're running a service business, it's way too easy to just go, well, yeah, I can do that. And, and I can put in the hustle. I'm a, I'm a hustling, aggressive entrepreneur. I can put in the hustle and take care of the client, right? Um, it's, it's natural to feel that way. The third thing then 
that makes all of this possible and they really go hand in hand. And this is the thing that when it clicks in somebody's mind, this is when I see their business take off, is that your, your ability to say no and your ability to have discipline is almost 100% based on having a full healthy sales pipeline. If you have a full healthy sales pipeline and one, one prospect says no because I want this and that, you're very comfortable walking away because you know you've got a dozen other deals sitting here waiting for you. As soon as that pipeline is dry, you, you know, you're stressed, you're anxious, you feel like, well, I've got to do whatever I've got to do to make the buck, right? So the, the interesting thing about this that, again, when you see it click is, is that within, in the small business universe, without setting those really defined packages, you'll never have a really strong, healthy sales pipeline. Because if you just have just kind of this amorphous, like, we can do services, you know, digital marketing services in general, you're never going to get a real strong pipeline because small businesses don't even understand what the heck that is. Like, they don't, they don't even really understand what am I supposed to respond to versus if you say, I will uh, keep your Instagram up to date and grow your following for $297 a month, Mr. Restaurant Owner. And this package is specifically designed for restaurants. That's much, much, much more marketable. You can hit a thousand restaurants with that message and start getting nice inbound deal flow because they understand what the heck you're selling and, and what they're even responding to. So it shortens the sales cycle like crazy, allows you to fill up your pipeline, which then gives you the, the discipline and the confidence to say no to things that are outside of, outside of your packages. So it all works together. When you take away any of those pieces, it, it falls apart. Yes, that's awesome. Productizing everything. Now, as far as productizing the, you have the product, then you need the people, right? Mm-hmm. Now, how did you build the people around this? So did it just start off with you or did you bring some of your teammates from your IT company into the mix? Yeah, I brought, I brought people right away. Um, and we had, a, we had a pretty good sized team really quickly. Um, and anytime you have a, a good sized team really quickly, then process and, and um, measurement, you know, becomes critical or else you're just spending money like crazy. Um, it's interesting. So in, in the whole website design thing in particular, that, that's the, the one that um, is most clear to me right now because we sold so many so fast. I think we sold a few hundred of those sites in our first month that we offered it. Wow. Um, so yeah, so I mean, it, it cranked up fast. All of a sudden I had this team of people sitting in a room going, wait, we have to you know, crank out several hundred websites. And that was before, you know, right now there's some really cool tools that you can just be like, you know, hey, print out more websites. Back then, it was a little bit um, less developed around being able to do that. Um, so I did have a lot of manual work going on. Um, I think the, the most important thing that we learned from that experience was we have what we call a process process. And the process process was literally, you know, hey, your job is to, you know, um, is to define the initial, you know, scope of the website, decide, decide, you know, work with the client, decide which color themes and all that type of stuff. I want you to document a process for your, your job, your role. So I would, I would give that to the employees rather than me trying to dictate everything. I would give it to them and I would say, follow this process for documenting a process. So by doing that within a week, I could have all of these documented processes for all of the jobs because somebody else was doing it. Somebody else was taking my process process right. and following it and documenting their, their job process. And so that allowed me then to pretty quickly sit and look at all of them and go, well, this one doesn't make any sense, you know, compared to this one or there, or you can see these clear places where there there's friction points and wasted time and all that good stuff. And making that a, a focus of conversation where you're reviewing those very regularly until you get it humming is really important. And initially, it's, it's all about that kind of manual effort or, you know, to, to figure that out. Like, I think we try and automate things maybe a little bit too quickly now. And the problem is if you automate a bad process, it's just a bad process that's being done even faster, right? Yeah. So, so what we would do is we would make it a, a real, you know, kind of manual thing and a conversation for a period of time where we're, every week we're sitting down with the team. We're going, okay, where are the friction points? Like what's, 
what's not working? Where are you wasting so much time that you, you know, your, your head's about to pop off. And then we would work on refining the process. And then it became, you know, about tools, about software and stuff like that, because we could say, let's find the tool now that lines up really nicely with the process. Right. I love that. So that's cool. So then now managing the people now, as far as like getting from your C-level team and the managers, then the doers, yeah. um, how did you track every level? So everybody was executing on full cylinders. Um, like your C-level team was not looking busy. They were actually helping build the business. Like, so how do you keep them a motivated and be productive without creating too much like pressure and stress? So it's a fine balance. Yeah, there is a fine balance. Um, it's, it's an interesting question. I feel like, you know, um, pressure and stress is, you know, is oftentimes a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, you want a healthy level of that. Um, I think that in terms of my management philosophy, um, you know, the most important concept that I've learned is called open book management, which I learned from Jack Stack in his book, The Great Game of Business. And then I went and did training with him on that concept. And that, that idea is essentially that if you give good people, so most important thing, right, is selection. Do you have good people? Do you have people that are self-motivated, that want to improve things without being told that they have to? That, that by far is the number one secret to success in managing people, right, is, is selection. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing, though, is in terms of open book management, the idea is, hey, give them the information and the tools that they need to make improvements and if you have the right people, they're going to make improvements because that's what they want to do. They just need the right tools and resources to do it. Um, and a big part of that is just is, is measurement. It's data. So it was a, it was a very eye-opening experience for me to realize that most of the people in their jobs, do we lose sound? No, 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 I'm here. Yeah, I was just telling somebody I, I like those three yeah, things. Cool. I was just trying to take notes right now, like uh, selection, <laughs> measurement, data. <laughs> <laughs> cool, yeah. So, so mo most people I realize in their jobs, uh, unfortunately, are, are kind of flying blind, right? There's a lot of bad managers out there and people don't really know, hey, am I, am I doing well or not? Until maybe they have a review once a year and they get told, nah, you're not doing that great. You know, we, we weren't happy with your performance. That's why people hate their jobs. So... Um, what I learned from Jack Stack was, you know, create a measure and show them that measure every day so that they know. So, um, you know, I'll just give an example my IT uh, services company. To me, the number one factor in my IT services company for our success was how did our clients feel about our services that day? It's not, you know, were we better at technology than the last company or anything like that? It was a service business. So how did my client feel at the end of the interaction with our techs? So we found a technology that after every single interaction with our IT And how does that compare to yesterday? And how does that compare to last month? Mm -hmm. And so by having that measure, they had something that every day they could look at and go, okay, you know, this morning I wasn't on my game. I mean, look at my score this morning. I was, you know, 20% uh, lower than my, my average. Well, why is that? You know, maybe I was in a bad mood. Maybe I didn't have my coffee, you know, whatever it was. Maybe there's something in the way that I'm speaking to people, the specific language that I'm using, whatever it is that I can tweak. Um, and so, so finding a measure and you can find a measure for any job. Um, and then we would use what we call the daily scorecard. So every single day we would make sure that that measure was reported so that, you know, everybody knew, Hey, look, here's where we are. Here's where our goal was. And here's where we came in for the day. And just that fast feedback and that data, you know, gives people the opportunity to improve. And that's what I, I believe that again, goes back to selection. If you pick the right people, that's what they want. Everybody wants to improve. Everybody wants to know they're doing a good job and that they're contributing. And, and that gives them the ability to know that every single day. Now, how did you host or hold your, your meetings and delegate meeting tasks for management? Because most of the people actually, let me, let me reverse that question. Um, 
because most of the people that are going to probably be watching this video are going to be solopreneur entrepreneurs yep. to about, let's say 20 man operations. Yes. The, the, like when you spoke in San Diego, there's probably some people that like almost like brand new to Billy Jean. Yep. That group. Yep. So I, I think that the, um, most, you know, I think that the, the most important, um, kind of, uh, I guess management process in terms of communication and stuff like that is a, is a daily huddle. Um, and that's something I learned from Vern Harnish, um, from gazelles. And, th and that's just the idea of doing a very quick, very structured huddle every single day. And he called it a huddle instead of a meeting, which I think is important from a psychology perspective. It feels like sports. Um, mm -hmm. the meeting was held standing up. I started every meeting with a big loud cheer and ended every meeting with a big loud cheer, get the energy flowing, blood flowing, all that stuff. Um, and had a very structured agenda of, you know, what we were talking about and we didn't go over time. Um, that daily opportunity to connect and communicate and um, clearly articulate, Hey, here are our priorities right now and um, give, people on your team an opportunity to say, Hey, you know, look, anybody out here right now that feels like they have a major stuck point or something that's not working right now, raise your hand and let me know, give me a three word summary of what it is. And we're going to address it later on today. Okay, great. So people have an opportunity to be heard. Right. Um, so that, that just rhythm, super, super important. And then I think that when it comes to management specifically and how making sure that they know what they're supposed to be doing, what their priorities are and stuff, the other side of that rhythm, if that's the daily rhythm, that daily communication, daily huddle, you've got to have a process with management where it's, it's more of like the quarterly and annual rhythm where you're sitting down and you're saying, hey, look, let's be really clear. At our company right now, this quarter, here's our top priorities. Our top priority is increasing recurring revenue, um, increasing our client stick factor, and getting that damn IT system replaced. In the next three months, those are our three priorities. Let's talk about how each of your jobs line up to support that so that we're all rowing you know, in the same direction. That, that has to happen. You have to have that checkpoint on a regular basis to be able to sit down and articulate, hey, look, here, here's the direction we're going, here's the mission, and let's make sure that we're all on the same page as to how you contribute and, and support that mission. Um, I love that. And the quarterly goals with the mission critical steps. Absolutely. Uh, that's important. Do you bring that, do you repeat that every single daily huddle um, at your, at, in the meeting saying, oh, we're, this is our mission. I want to repeat it every single day for the next 90 days. We're going to reach those goals. Yeah. So included in our, in our daily huddle was always a, um, we would have a, we would have a theme for the quarter. So maybe the theme for the quarter was, um, you know, I mean, we just, we just have some fun with it. I remember one time it was, uh, it was Vegas related. And so we had poker chips made up that had our company logo on them. And it was all about, you know, we hit these certain goals and at the end of the quarter, we were going to have a big casino night party and, you know, and all this type of stuff. Right. So every huddle was a reminder of that and a reminder of where we are in achieving those goals that will allow us to, to hit the party, you know, or, you know, go to Vegas or whatever we were doing. And so we, we always just have a theme like that. And it's an important reminder. Like I, I always say um, that if you want to see how you should run a company in terms of management, go sit in a kindergarten class. And, and, and I don't mean that to be disrespectful to anybody at all, like that we have to treat them like kinder, kindergartners. But, but the reality is, you know, I go and watch my daughter in her kindergarten class and it's brilliant. I, it's, it's impossible to me to see how this one teacher can get 20 kindergartners to all like do what they're supposed to do. Like all, all of a sudden they're all quiet. All of a sudden they're all marching over here and doing what they're supposed to do at that time. All of a sudden they're going over here and putting that away and, you know, cleaning up. And I'm just like, you know, I, I, I feel like I can't get my one kid, you know, <laughs> to do that. Right. When I'm asking, you see a kindergarten teacher do that and it's brilliant. They have these very simple themes and measures and communications of those measures, you know, this, you know, this week, it's all about, you know, whatever, you know, the, the we're, we're all, you know, going to the beach and they have a drawing of the beach up there and, you know, everybody's got to bring their things to the beach. And, and then 
they have very simple communication of are you on track or not. So, you know, Avery, you're doing great today. You get a, you know, you get a gold star. You get, uh, you know, a, a pink, you know, whatever, you know, unicorn or whatever. And everybody in the class knows, oh, the gold star means this, the pink unicorn means that. And it's these very just simple communication mechanisms that work so effectively because everybody understands them. Right. I think that's the biggest thing when it comes to management and communication is just like, is our message just like really clear and have we articulated it over and over again so that people know what they're supposed to do? No, no, I agree 100%. It's just overcomplicating things because like as running from an, running an agency for a long time myself, you kind of assume what other agencies are like without knowing what they're like because yeah. I mean, just from being around the block so many times, I don't really... I like, that's why I love these one-on-one -on -one type calls because you get to actually learn information, share information. Um, because I know so many of my friends that have run agencies like that were looked like they were kind of doing really well, but then they imploded themselves with partner breakups or they didn't realize that their revenue for collecting Google ad spend does not equal like bottom line revenue right, to your company. Right, right. It's just like that's just, you're just floating cash flow for temporary right. reasons, putting on a credit card for free mileage and taking a trip. So yeah, right. how, how do you how do you now measure these things in terms of now that you've like taken the steps of like how where are we on Tuesday? Where are we on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Like, how, is there somewhere because sometimes people give false hope and they give incorrect data how do you kind of keep that accountable so by friday we can say okay here's what we've collected from monday to friday and here's how this so the data tells us one thing and what people are sharing in their stories is different so i mean one i think is um is making it all very public mm -hmm. i mean that's a that's a big part of it when when everybody has to report their data publicly and it goes up on a, on a wall for everybody to see. And that's literally what we would do. We had a spreadsheet that we would project up on the wall. So it was a big projection. We'd all get as a team, we'd go, all right, let's report our numbers. So one thing, just that, that public, the public nature of it makes things very accountable. Um, the other thing is just consistent check-ins. Um, one of the, um, trying to remember this gentleman's name now, shoot, I can't remember, but one of the best pieces of management advice I ever heard, um, gosh, oh, Patrick Thien, Patrick Thien. Um, he said that his, his number one management technique was that, you know, so everybody in his team had to have, you know, these simple measures and they were hanging up on the wall publicly and all that type of stuff. And what he would do is he would just walk around to the different departments, to the different teams, and he would just stop and fold his arms and just look at the measures and just go, Hmm. And then walk away. And, and he said that just by having a manager that people knew, Hey, that guy's coming around and looking at my dang numbers. And you know, and what is he thinking? And why is he thinking that and stuff that that again, creates accountability. It just creates this sense of, Hey, there's actually somebody making use of this data. There's somebody kind of checking in. Not that you want to be overbearing about it because a really good, talented employee doesn't want to have that micromanagement. But at the same time, you've got to let them know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm an accountability partner here for you. Like, I'm going to be checking in. Yeah. Uh, so I think that it's, you know, it's, it's that balance, like I said, of, of holding them accountable without micromanaging and then just having a public, a public reporting system. That whole open book management concept is so powerful. Right. Like, did you use any tools other than like the Excel sheet um, at, at all? Is there anything, I'm just, I guess I'm asking for myself, is there anything now that exists that you can have these metrics and scores outside of Google sheets, like maybe a CRM or something like that? Oh, sure. There's, there's all kinds of um, tools that you can get out there for reporting and stuff. I mean, the, the reality is the, the data, it's about the quality of where that data comes from. Right. So the data that I was asking for, was being pulled from some sort of system typically, yeah. right? So, so um, you know, if, if let's say um, my IT support team, they would do like a remote control connection using a, a, a go-to assist or, you know, something like that tool with a client. Well, that tool would generate data. Here is your average length of time for each session. Here was you know, the client feedback after, you know, at the end of the session, right? 
So they were pulling that data out of systems. So what I found is that almost every job function will have some sort of you know, system that is, that is collecting data, especially at this point, everybody's working with software and stuff like that. The challenge was getting all of that data together. You know, you could use, there's like dashboard software and stuff like that to do that. And you can absolutely find that. Um, again, my, my challenge with that was that I usually had to try and conform to some system that I didn't, I didn't quite want it that way. I wanted to make sure that my data was reported in a certain way um, the other, the other thing that I would, I would say about that too, is that by having an Excel or Google sheet, you know, and having to fill it in manually, there's, there's something that happens. It's like when they talk about how the best way to learn is to make sure you're taking handwritten notes while you're learning. There's, there's just something about that mind and physical connection of doing that, that helps. I think it's the same thing with reporting the numbers. Like it's one thing where if you know that all the numbers are automatically being put into this fancy dashboard that you could just look at at any time, that, that's one thing and there is value to that. I think it's another thing where at the end of the day, you have to sit, find the number, think about why was that number, what it was that day, and then go and report it and, and manually put it into some spreadsheet where people are watching. It's just a, it's a different, I feel like, connection that creates a different kind of learning cycle. No, I agree 100%, right? I'm, I'm a handwriting guy myself. I, I have to take manual notes. Otherwise, there's no way. I'm gonna, if I type them, I'm not going to remember them. It has to be. It definitely has that. Like now, going, let me go to a different topic. Like how do you start your, do you have a morning routine or a nightly routine? How you start and end your day? I do, yeah. Um, I typically, um, I, I start every day with a cold shower, um, which is something I learned from going to a Tony Robbins event. Um, and the idea with that is just to like shock yourself into a state of, Hey, everything is activated, right? Um, I'm a big believer that, uh, again, you know, Tony Robbins teaching, but I'm a big believer in throughout your day. If you broke your day into, you know, the seconds of the day, literally every second of your day, you're, you're making some sort of decision based on, you know, just these fast little micro decisions based on how you feel, right? Largely based on how you feel, you know, am I going to do this or I'm going to do that? Well, there's some sort of emotion behind how I'm feeling that's going to drive one way or the other. So the idea that he teaches then is, well, <clears throat> if that's the case, you really want to do everything that you can proactively to make sure that you're in the best emotional state that you feel as good as possible so that as you're making those micro decisions throughout the day, you're making the ones that are, are going in a positive direction, being supported by positive energy, rather than making decisions that are going in the other direction because you're feeling in a slump. So first thing I typically do then is I'm trying to just activate my body, activate my mind, jumping into that cold shower and, and waking up. Um, depending on my, um, depending on my, well, the other thing that I do pretty much right away, waking up without fail, is just do a, a few what I call power questions. And it's just trying to get my mindset focused in, in the right way. Again, so just questions like, what am I grateful for today? You know, what, what's awesome that's going to happen today? You know, that type of thing. Um, just a handful of little questions like that, just to make sure that my focus is on that instead of, oh, I'm tired or, or oh, you know, what do I got to do? Um, and then depending on my schedule, it kind of flows from there. Sometimes I, I work out in the morning. Sometimes I work out at night. I'm pretty flexible about that stuff, but um, the the cold shower and the the power questions are are pretty much non-negotiable for me. Perfect. And do you exercise every single day? I don't exercise every single day. I I, I do not. I I try and give myself you know uh, make sure I have rest in between my workouts. So three to four days a week, just depending on on what um, you know what's going on and how I'm feeling and stuff like that. But I. Um, but I, but I would say I, I live a very active life. So even if I'm not exercising or working out per se, you know, I'm, I'm moving a lot. I've got, you know, got a lot of, a lot of things going on and chasing kids and, you know, and all that type of stuff. So. Right. Now, do you, are you a reader or more of like an audible type person? Definitely more of a reader. Um, I have gotten, I, I definitely have gotten into podcasts um, for sure more in the last year or so. And they're great because I can be working out and listening to them and stuff like that. Um, 
but there's something still about books to me. It's funny that you ask is, you know, I sit here and I mean, I literally have stacks of books, you know, right here <laughs> next to me at all times, pretty much um, because I'm a reader and there is something again about that connection of being able to go and underline and highlight things and stuff like that. That definitely helps me learn and, and retain. Yeah, I'm more of an audible person. I, I have stacks of books. Unfortunately, that's just what they are. It's more of like a decorative <laughs> piece for me right now. <laughs> that's uh, awesome. but, yeah, so, but there's one book I definitely want to get into uh, is the David Goggins book. Someone told me that I gave a copy away to somebody and they, they said it was awesome. And you need to I, I've heard that as well. I haven't read it yet, but I've heard it's, yeah, it's really impressive. He's, he's something else, isn't he? Yeah, I've only watched a couple of his, or actually only one video, and I'm like, you know what, I like this. It doesn't seem like it's work. It seems like it's more mental, physical, athletic, but that's what really drives the sense of urgency in your work life is that you want to have, like, no longer are you an athlete when you're a youth or a kid or college uh, student. Uh, this is the new game you're playing. The new sport is business, and you can have a uh, lackadaisical attitude, and those are the people that kind of have – LinkedIn profiles that are a mile long with job job changes, and then right. there's the people who are that that love what they do, and then there's the, the ones that are going to get to that to the entrepreneurial state and jump into the lonely island and, <laughs> and stress yeah. and, <laughs> and ups and yeah. downs and peaks and valleys. I agree. I, I I call it my tagline that I've adopted for myself just in the last year is being on offense. Um, like I, I just that that mindset of just always being on offense, always being proactive, you know, in a, in an attack position. And I think I do think about it like, you know, pro athletes, I'm, I'm always shocked and appalled at, you know, how that fat out of shape guy sitting on the bar stool can watch, you know, Tom Brady or Peyton Manning and sit there and just like rip them apart. Like, Oh, look at that idiot. You know, he didn't, you know, what was wrong? Why didn't he make that pass? You know, and stuff like that. And I'm just like, God, like that guy playing that game prepares at a level and, and commits to a level of performance every day that the normal person just does not understand. And I'm not even saying that I understand it. Like I've never, you know, I've never been at that level before, but Every day I, I do try and think about, okay, well, how do I you know, do my best to, to get myself to perform at that level of whatever I'm doing, right? And, mm -hmm. and what would that take? Um, and it is, it's, you know, when you, you know, hear about guys like that and, you know, his ability to, to make sure that he's like just in that attack mode all the time, I really respect that. So I'm going to have to make sure I read it as well. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I kind of use similar analogies or, or athletes. Like I'll use I like Kobe Bryant and Dwayne Wade from two different extremes. Like Kobe had a good upbringing and childhood yeah. and, and then just took it to a whole different degree that nobody can compete. And if they tried to, he would just wake up earlier and stay later. Yeah. Uh, and then Dwayne Wade, he came from what I call the no excuse background, 13 siblings, single mom, and is probably worth half a billion. I'm guessing, maybe less, but still. I mean, if you if you want it, it's up to you as the individual. Yeah. The Isn't that amazing too? I love that when you when you just like you said, people that came from two completely different situations, um, and either of them could have used those situations as an excuse, right? But both of them used it as fuel, and that and that's like such a did you ever read uh, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor no. Frankl? No, I never one, one of the best books ever. Um, and, and it is, it's, um, you know, it's, it's um, people in, in um, you know, the worst situations, the ones that survive those situations and even find a way to thrive are because they, they create a meaning from it. In their minds, they create a meaning from it. This is happening to me because ultimately – I'm going to do this and this is going to be the fuel that gets me there. It's actually going to make my story better. It's going to make, you know, my impact more impactful because I experience this versus the people that go on a downward spiral are the people that say, you know, Oh, you know, woe is me. This is happening to me and that's going to make, you know, my future, you know, worse. Right. So it's just, it's, it's literally about their psychology and what they are able to get themselves to believe. Um, and, and in that situation, Dwayne Wade and, 
and uh, Kobe Bryant, you know, they, they both found the way to believe what they needed to be, to believe, right? To use their background, use whatever challenges they were facing to be fuel instead of, um, you know, taking away from them. And, you know, they're both, yeah. I mean, Kobe Bryant in particular, like his mindset, just his mental game is ridiculous. Yeah, luckily, I have the pleasure to live not too far from what uh, a business that he acquired or is a majority or minority shareholder of something called the Sports Academy, and they renamed it to the Mamba Academy, and yeah, yeah, and then his business partner uh, in his venture capital company, Jeff Stibble, he just recently spoke at a local college here. Um, and I got a chance to meet with him, talk with him. It was just, he started web.com and took them public. Or I don't know if he started web.com, but I know he took them public at 32 years old. He's written as one of the youngest CEOs to take a, a company. Awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's nice to have that kind of community around here to have accessibility and at least just shake their hand, take a picture with and have Absolutely. a line of communication. Absolutely. That's cool. All right. Three tips I want from you. Three tips that you can tell an entrepreneur who's Let's say at the six to 12 month mark, they've just decided that, okay, I can do this. I have five clients. I have 10 grand in recurring. I want to get to the hundred grand mark in the next 12 months. What are, what would be three tips you would give that person? Wow. Three tips. Um, and is this like specific to like an agency type of business or are we just talking like an entrepreneur in general? I would say, let's go with an agency. Okay. Within agency, okay. So um, that that's actually a spot that I know really, really well. That size, um, and you know, they're they're getting out there, they're getting some clients and stuff like that. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it really practical. So one is laser focus on a particular audience. So whether that's restaurants, bars, gyms, lawyers, chiropractors, dentists, I don't care what it is. Laser focus on a particular audience. Um, because of some of the things that we talked about before, that's going to give you the ability to really structure and define packages for them. The other major thing, and that's the way that we sold several hundred website accounts in one month is because it gives you access to channels, right? If I'm going after dentists, there are a bunch of pre-established channels on how I can reach dentists. There's the U S dental association, there's dental trade shows, there's dental newsletters, all that. So those are channels for me to market through that I'm going to get much more sales velocity than if I'm spreading my message too thin across, you know, a broader market. So that would be the first, first thing is focus like crazy on a channel. Um, I mean, on a, on a, uh, a niche so that you can take advantage of channels. Um, second thing would be that um, you, you have to focus on, the the definition of the packages and really um, balancing the combination of how do I make an attractive value proposition for my client, but also have enough margin and structure in it for me to actually run a healthy business. Um, I would say the far majority of people that I meet that are new entrepreneurs don't understand margins, don't understand gross margins, aren't calculating them don't realize the impact it's having on their business. You've got to be very thoughtful and smart about that. So you've got to balance that, you know, do the numbers work for me, but is the service working for the client? It's got to be both. Um, So really, you know, those defined packages like we talked about. And then the last thing I would say is recurring revenue. There's no reason you should be selling anything other than recurring revenue. And it should be all about how do I create, um, as long a term recurring revenue client as possible. The reality is in, in that market, in any small business service space, if you're keeping your client for less than a year and your margins aren't right and all that type of stuff, there's almost no way that you're going to grow that business and make any decent money from it. It's almost impossible. And we can run the math all day long. I've, I've modeled it. I don't know how many times it's after a year that you really start generating profit from that client because you've covered all of your sales and marketing costs, all of your overhead of getting them onboarded and yada, yada. And now you've got them a little bit on autopilot. You guys are in a rhythm. They're low maintenance. Um, they're not calling you up every day, bugging you. They've kind of got things figured out too. Uh, and they're still paying you that month after month. So your margins are, are really going up. 
Um, it's gotta be all about long-term recurring revenue retention. Otherwise your, your model's just not working. So I would say those are the three things to really, really laser in on. And those are spot on. I appreciate that. Sure. Okay, cool. So now what are you up to right now? What am I up to right now? Actually, um, that's a good, good timing. So I have, I have two things that I'm working on. Um, one is I publish a media site in San Diego um, and I'm having a great time with that. And that is my new local marketing business model and really um, just trying to you know, continue to grow that and, and just dial it in um, and then figure out where that goes from there, whether I want to expand it into other cities or just focus here on San Diego. Um, and then the other thing is, for the first time in 10 years, I mean, the way I got into the whole training space and information publishing space is I documented my sales systems. So my prospecting sales system and my consultative sales system, it was called the Chase Formula and the R4 sales system. And I, you know, those, those two things kind of launched me into the training space. For the first time in, in 10 years, I'm releasing a new sales system and sales training program. It's called Leverage Selling. Um, and so I'm, I'm just super passionate about that and I'm working like crazy on it right now because I, I think it's the most exciting, I think it's the most exciting time in history to be an entrepreneur, one. And two, the things that have come together just over the last 18, 24 months type of thing have made it so that you and I have, as far as I'm concerned, we have the, the freaking dream, you know, to be able to build a business where you know, you can create this video. We can dial in the exact sales message that we want to have in a series of videos. We can put it out there to prospects. We can tell, did they watch that video? If they didn't, I'm going to send it back to them. If they did, I'm going to send them the next one. And I'm going to make sure that that all happens like perfectly in order. You know, if you think about that, like I used to have these big sales teams and I would pay these, you know, young, aggressive sales guys a whole bunch of money. And I would find out, you know, I would go and ride along with them on sales meetings and stuff. And I would find out they were butchering our message. They weren't following our sales process, you know, and I'm like, God, I'm spending so much money on this every month. And it was a disaster. And it like it would keep me up at night sweating. Now you and I with automated systems and with a fraction of the budget can reach many, many times more people we can reach the right people because those people are self-selecting to view our content and we can automate the whole process until right up until the point where they're ready to come and shake my hand and give me money and do business with me. Like, I, I just think that that is such a dream and all of the tools and systems and, and all that type of stuff um, and, and also the consumer behavior, what consumers expect, how they want to buy now. I feel like that's all come together perfectly to create what I, what I call leverage selling. And the, the name leverage is because you and I as an entrepreneur, we have more leverage than we've ever had to be able to create something that like just gives us the life that we want, you know? And, and to me, that's, that's what it's all about. Like I'm not trying to build a public company. I'm not trying to do any of that. I, I'm trying to build a business that feeds the life that I want to live so that I can live it. And and have an impact on other people um, and in other people's lives, hopefully. And, and there's just never been a cooler time to be able to do that. So, sorry, I got up on my soapbox, but I just, I, I, it, it literally just as a, as an entrepreneur and as a student kind of an, of entrepreneurship and a fan of entrepreneurship, like I just think it's, it's such an amazing, amazing time. Um, so that's, that's what I'm working on. <laughs> awesome. I want to be a part of that. I want to, I want to, I want to get a release and, and buy it whenever it's available. Awesome. Uh, and I, I literally, like, I honestly probably spend a good anywhere between two to three hours per day doing one-on-one -on -one free calls just because I like it with, so with people who are, are good people. The one thing when you mentioned Tony Robbins, it's just their mindset's not right. They're making decisions on behalf of the prospect before asking them that question. Yeah. I said your, your fear is not allowing you to be confident. Yeah. So, like, so I, I kind of get aggressive with them at the end. I'll just, I say like, now that we've spent an hour here, 
Um, in one week, I want you to go get one paying customer. Otherwise, delete my number. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, you can do it, man. It's just literally if you want to like make excuses why you're not going to be successful or just go ask normal human beings that like to talk for a living what, a question about their business and you're all set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So I just started, a, I called it the, right now I only have about 14 or so members because we literally just built it. And uh, it's called the seven figure GSD group, which is get to seven figures and get shit done. Is the, the yeah, I love it. I love so, it. I, so once I build it up a little bit, I'm definitely want to ask you again to come in and go live with me. Uh, I'd love to. That'd be great. And vice versa. You, you motivated me. I'm going to start doing these calls too. It's perfect. Yeah, this is the best type of, I mean, you're going to, I'll show you what we're going to, I'll give you what we call, we literally, someone sitting right to the left of me taking live notes right now. We're going to move and sprint on this. We're going to send it to our editor to edit um, the long version. We're going to chop it up to three to five different sizzle pieces to promote and seed. We'll have three to five quote cards of things you've said. Um, and then what else do we do? Do you see? Like memes, we may do some like animated gifs of us or something like that. Yeah. This whole little Trello board process that we literally just typed up on, I think Monday this week, because I was getting like upset. I'm like, why is this taking so long? Why are we not doing all these 17 things? It's because no one wrote them down. I was making them up on the spot. So yeah. we just wrote it. So like hopefully by the, by Monday we'll be done with the entire process given our existing workload and everything will just start being published automatically through Buffer. Um, and just turn this into like what we call the content monster. Um, so we're just getting good at it, getting good at process. I mean, literally writing everything down versus keeping it right here. Yeah. Um, where I'm keeping it a secret from everybody. Yeah. That's good. So, that's the first step in having scalable processes, right? Is it just acknowledging that there is some sort of process that's happening and let's, mm -hmm. let's define it, document it, you know, so that other people can see it and use it rather than, like you said, just being in your head. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Again, well, thank you so much for all the extra time as well. I know we went a little bit over, so I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I didn't even notice. I'm having fun, so awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you for if having me. Wants to get a, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how would they find you in terms of not like your phone number or bother you or anything, but like see what you're up to, like your website addresses that you're promoting right now? Yeah, sure. So thank you. It's um, digitalmarketinglab.io. So digitalmarketinglab.io. And then there's get leverage and that's L V R G. So my brand is L V R G. So get G E T L V R G.com. Get leverage.com. Um, find me on Facebook. You know, that's an easy thing too. <laughs> awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, Mike. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yep. Have a great rest of your day. All right. You too. Bye-bye.